0: Chapter six of the Mute Singer by Anna Cora Mawatt Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six the second step. The week that intervened between her first and second appearance as a singer did not pass very smoothly with Sylvie. The constant presence of her volatile father was not merely an interruption to her studies but his frequent wordy collisions with Bougeot discomposed her and kept her choleric master in a state of most distressing excitement de la roche was in such exuberant spirits, he was so confident that Sylvie's talents would speedily realize a large income, that he would shortly be restored to his former position in the social world and glorious anticipation, that he would ere long actually drive that superb pair of greys which were always careering through his brain, that he grew more reckless and improvident than ever." the few francs per day which he had an opportunity of earning seemed a sum too petty to be considered to receive them would he thought be a positive humiliation and in a stately manner he declined to undertake any further copying for the notary he now passed the larger portion of his time at home commenting on his daughter's studies Vociferously applauding her brilliant execution, rallying his wife upon her low spirits, sparring with Maitre Beaujol, and communicating to everyone who entered his princely projects for the future. Ursule flitted in and out of the room at brief intervals, always shrinking into some corner or stealing noiselessly away when Beaujol made his appearance. uncured by the musician's rough treatment of his propensity to hearken by stealth to sweet sounds never passed the door without lingering to listen and as sylvie's voice threw its witching spell around him he often sank down enthralled and with his head resting against the door-panel became oblivious of his errand forgetting all of his wants his cares his misery until well-known step dissolved the enchantment and put his visions and himself to flight madame manot the concierge who ever since she had seen sylvie descend from the splendid carriage had paid great court to the de la roche's and gossiped about them incessantly made continual visits to their apartment accompanied by curious friends de la roche received her with pompous condescension and amazed the good woman by his florid descriptions of the mode of life he proposed shortly to lead and his enumeration of the sumptuous adornments of the abode he was busily preparing in his imagination unluckily this troublesome father had made up his mind not to forego the pleasure of witnessing his daughter's next triumph in public and upon that point he was immovable he coolly made known his determination to accompany her to the salle this privilege bonjour refused to allow and even threatened to give up his instructions and the engagement altogether, if de la Roche persisted in his intention. Then, Everard proposed to buy a ticket, and if he had possessed or could have borrowed the requisite amount, it would have been expended in this purchase, and that while the sweet singer herself almost lacked food at last bourgeot tired out by these persecutions procured from m legrand a complimentary admission which he presented to de la roche on the condition that he absented himself from his lodgings during the day the bargain was easily made and so great was the father's joy at the possession of the ticket that he may be said to have worn it next to his heart, and certainly drew it forth and gazed upon it tenderly hundreds of times, besides exhibiting it to every acquaintance whom he encountered during the three days that elapsed before it could be used, the evening came. Sylvie was clad in the simple snowy raiment that she had before worn, she had no means of replacing the white kid gloves which had been completely ruined by her abundant tears but the thoughtful ursule had provided her with another pair stinting herself for a week after for the pleasure of indulging in this helpful generosity the had not forgotten a meet tribute to the saint cecilia of song at whose shrine he worshiped so devoutly his offering was a bunch of lilies of the valley, and the pure white bells drooping among Sylvie's jetty hair increased, by contrast, the beauty of the flowers and of the silken tresses upon which they reposed. Bourgeot artfully advised De La Roche to present himself at the doors of the salle some time before they opened, that he might secure an advantageous seat. His real object was to get him out of the way as soon as possible. The ruse succeeded admirably. The impatient father acted so promptly upon the hint that, after solitarily pacing up and down before the Salle Saint-Cécile for an hour, he headed the long queue, which, according to the French custom, forms the crowd at an entrance into an orderly double file no one person pressing before another who arrived earlier de la roche's effervescent spirits forbade all reticence and he soon entered into conversation with the persons who surrounded him after the opening of a few general remarks he confidentially informed them that he had a daughter who was to sing that night He dwelt with enthusiasm upon the genius she invinced and upon her success at the Count Castellane's recent concert, then branched off into his discourse and favored his listeners with a sketch of his ancestry and his own early history, gave them an account of his wealth and his losses, and finally communicated his conviction that his fortunes were now to be redeemed by the daughter whom they were about to behold wrapped once more in ursule's foxy black mantle and old veil sylvie walked with her master to the salle in the rue de la Chaussée d'antin the little retiring room appropriated to the singers was a rather comfortless apartment but sylvie felt more at home there than in the count's elegant library Monsieur Le Grand had saluted her and Bourgeau when they entered, with smart courtesy, and his example was followed by such of the performers as were present at her debut. The arrangements were, of course, different from those in a private house. The musicians only appeared when, according to the order indicated by the programme, it was their turn to sing or play sylvie was perfectly composed and apparently absorbed in the duty to be discharged she sat beside bourgeot now and then exchanging a few words with him until Monsieur Lagrange gave her his hand to lead her forth it had not occurred to her master that she should be instructed to return the greeting of the audience by an obeisance and she walked directly though calmly to the front of the platform near the piano there were many persons present who had already heard her sing and noisy as was their welcome it was unnoticed by the young vocalist monsieur le Grand whispered to her you have forgotten to curtsy mademoiselle curtsy if you please sylvie looked up at his face with surprise, but supposing that he meant her to curtsey to him, made a modest reverence. The quickness with which the audience comprehended this little by play, divined what Legrand had whispered, and how the unsophisticated girl had misinterpreted his words, was surprising. A good humored and very general laugh, mingled with plaudits, resounded from every side but Sylvie, far from being conscious that she had committed any error, inwardly congratulated herself that she had so quickly acted upon M. Grand's hint. O oh, Mio Fernando, from Donzetti's opera of La Favorita, was executed with artistic skill, depth of feeling, and vocal power rarely equaled. One great charm of her singing was the absence of all effort, the flowing forth of the delicious sounds as though they involuntarily roll from her lips. The tumultuous burst of delight which rent the air when the last mellow notes faded into silence did not seem to reach her ears. From the moment she commenced singing, her countenance wore an abstracted, dreamy look, as though she had risen to some sublimer sphere and was unaware of all that passed in the region below her it was quite useless for m legrand again to suggest the propriety of a courteous acknowledgment he led her back to the retiring-room without a word and regardless of the uproarious demand for an encore you sing charmingly m- mademoiselle de la roche he then said to her but you quite forgot to salute the audience salute the audience oh i beg pardon i did not know that i had anything to do with the audience answered the novice those artless words drew forth little gushes of suppressed laughter from her associates of the hour yes little stupid said bourgeot coming to the rescue you must curtsy when you appear before them and curtsy when you retire but i will not allow curtsying at every demonstration of favour that is a shocking italian habit in the worst possible taste and it does not suit your purer style as he spoke he darted spiteful glances at several of the ladies who were still giggling in their handkerchiefs and whom he had beheld soliciting fresh rounds of applause by a ready bending of the knee at the faintest sound of approval monsieur legrand who heard shrugged his shoulders and converted a spontaneous grimace into a conciliatory smile he thought it better not to interfere with the eccentric pair He had remarkable skill in feeling the public's pulse, and he knew that Sylvie's very freshness and unaffected ignorance of forms added to the potent charm of her marvellous vocalisation. When she appeared again, she did not forget the important salutation, and the marked manner in which she curtsied seemed archly to say, "'If I did wrong before, I hope I am atoning.' such too was the ready interpretation of her action by the spectators and her perfect transparency increased her fascination but while she was singing from mozart's figaro her recent tutoring was wholly effaced from her mind and at the close of the air she was gravely walking away when some recollection seemed to strike her she started hesitated came back a step or two with oh i forgot plainly expressed by her countenance made her little untaught rustic courtesy and tripped away followed by a whirlwind of rapturous acclamation even the bombastic legrand smiled and almost laughed before sylvie sang the third time her master was to execute a solo maitre took unusually long to tune his dear sweet-toned violin but he would have flown into a rage if any one had dared to hint that he was at all ruffled when he rose sylvie followed him and begged that she might stand where she could hear bourgeois stationed her a few steps from the entrance to the stage where she was screened from view but As the music grew more and more stirring, it seemed to draw her magnetically forth. Little by little, she unconsciously advanced, bending forward to catch every sound. She did not see the audience. She did not know that anyone saw her, but stood, rapt and statue-like, almost breathlessly listening, while all eyes were riveted upon her the hearty tokens of pleasure that echoed on every side when the strain ended were awarded as much to the affectionate enthusiasm of the pupil as to the masterly skill of the tutor she remained as motionless as one transfixed until Beaujol approached her in making his exit his surprise what are you doing here child first made her aware that she was standing in the presence of the crowd she drew back aghast striking in the suddenness of her retreat against monsieur legrand who chanced to be standing behind her he accosted her laughingly mademoiselle la roche your appreciation of your master does you as much honour as your devotion to your art di tanti palpiti compose for pastas glorious contralto voice had been selected for sylvie's last effort that night and startling as her vocal achievements had been before this was her crowning triumph monsieur Legrande was obliged to consent to the encore which was vociferously demanded and even after the request had been complied with found it difficult to quiet and satisfy the enraptured and exciting auditors, who appeared determined to hear the air for a third time, and not to allow the performance to proceed in regular order until they were gratified. That Sylvie was able to sustain herself now was an incontestable fact. "'that she must take rank with the first singers of the day "'appeared to be a sequence which nothing could prevent. "'That M. Legrand entertained this opinion was evidence "'from his deference towards her, which every moment augmented. "'The concert was over. "'Sylvie and her master had only made a few steps in the street, when her quick eyes distinguished two persons approaching that made her heart give a great bound that tiny graceful nymph-like little figure and the stately form by its side had too often risen before her mental vision not to be instantly recognized we are more captivated than ever mademoiselle Sylvie. I am sure the great pasta never sang di tanti palpiti more triumphantly, said Honorine. You have not forgotten me, I hope. Honorine had taken Sylvie's hand. It trembled nervously at the touch. Sylvie was thinking of the ruby ring with a sickening fear that its absence from her finger might be detected. She remembered all Maître Bogeot had said about what might be thought of her parting with the ring and knew she could not defend herself despite the thrill of joy that ran quivering through every vein at this encounter she was impatient to hasten away and could not command her voice whose clouds yonder look threatening remarked honorine's escort you must allow us to take you home sylvie made a faint effort to decline this offer But Bourgeau thought of the likelihood of her taking cold, and the chances that her voice might be affected by hoarseness, and answered promptly, You are exceedingly good, monsieur. We will accept your offer, for a cold would be a terrible calamity just at this moment. It would be indeed, replied the nobleman, handing Sylvie into the carriage, one that would fall upon us all honorine leaped lightly in and the gentleman followed the former chatted merrily to sylvie as the carriage was on its way to the rue saint denis and the young singer was gradually lured into unembarrassed responses it was too dark for her to distinguish the faces around her and that circumstance helped to banish her diffidence The gentlemen conversed with each other, and the nobleman gave Maitre Beaujau his opinion of the concert as a whole, and of individual performers, not forgetting the solo on the violin, and proving by his discriminating criticism that he was a fine judge of music. Sylvie had become quite at ease with her aristocratic companion by the time the carriage stopped. Maitre Beaujau was nearest to the door. He got out and turned to assist his pupil, but the nobleman sprang down the steps and handed her out himself. Then, without once glancing at the humble locality, re-entered the coach. Dame Manot flew forth at the sound of the wheels, and various lodgers put out their heads out of the doors and windows to see if it really was little Sylvie brought home in a grand carriage and we fear that some of them dreamt dreams that night about renouncing their own humble vocations to turn their attentions to music as the easiest means of rising in the world. The delighted concierge caught Sylvie enthusiastically in her arms, but this familiarity exasperated Maître Beaujol, who almost tore her from the good woman's hearty embrace he bade sylvie good-night at her own door he ordered her to go to bed at once the command however was not obeyed for naturally she had to relate the occurrences of the evening to her mother and Ursule. very soon her father burst in upon the trio and incoherently poured out the history of his adventures. He repeated the flattering remarks he had overheard, the congratulations he had received when it was known that he was Sylvie's father, told of the whispers that flew from one to another until quite a large circle was cognizant of the fact and described his efforts to elbow his way through the crowd that he might accompany his daughter home and his perfectly furious struggles to reach her side when he saw her enter a superb carriage which some of the spectators recognized as the equipage of the marquis de saint amar the marquis de saint amar ejaculated sylvie and the lovely little lady who was with him did you hear who she was oh i think that was madame de la marquise of course i think i heard someone call her so it is a great honor for her to bring you home herself but nothing more than what we have the right to expect sylvie suddenly grew pale and stammered out i fancied she was too young to be married and she seemed so girlish and frank never occurred to me i-i could not have believed it uh, does not seem possible none of these broken sentences were to be finished she appeared to be lost in thought and was too absent to hear her father's questions when he chided her jestingly mingling his light rebukes with kisses and praise she pleaded fatigue and begged to leave to retire to her chamber A moment before, she had declared that she was not in the least degree tired, and felt as though she could sing all night. But we suppose there is no exception to the rule that pronounces women capricious, since one brought up in such seclusion, and so indulged as Sylvie invents caprice. End of chapter 6